The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 36. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she, had, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Christ. Thank you, Emily. Well, today I want to tell a story. I want to tell the story of this text um, about these grieving sisters, Mary and Martha. And I I think if you're allowed to have a favorite passage in the Bible um, or a favorite kind of part of the Bible, one of mine is kind of the every little bit of the Mary Martha Lazarus story, uh, just all of it, because they, they appear a number of times, and so we're, we're going to dig into part of that, and I'm just, I just, I'm so thrilled uh, to, to, to be in this text, uh, but before I do, I want to give you just two of my hopes for our time together. I'm in that in-between place where I kind of need reading glasses, but I kind of don't, and when I have them on, I can't see you. So we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna try it without them. Um, but a couple of my goals, my hopes for this, uh, if I were to put them into into two words, it would be confidence and comfort. Uh, the first is the first goal is that if God has led you into some situation, He's led you into or through some situation that you just for the life of you can't make sense of, and you're asking God, why? Why did you do this? Then. I pray that God's word will bring a renewed sense of confidence in his wisdom, in your situation. Uh, 
I pray that God's word will bring you this, this, this confidence. We can't always know why um, God does what he does, but this passage helps us know who we're dealing with. And knowing who is often more comforting than knowing why. Uh, the second uh, goal or, or hope that I have is that I pray that unfolding this story will cause us to do what Jesus said it would do uh, when Lazarus first got sick and that, and that this story would then cause people to behold the glory of the Son of God. That's what Jesus said. This is not going to end in death, but it's going to end in the glory of the Son of God. And so I pray that our time together will lead us into a humbling recognition of the glory of Christ and that that would bring us comfort. So confidence and, and comfort, I guess, would be those, the two words. This sermon is about grief, and so please bring your sorrow, bring your grief, uh, bring the places where your heart feels a little threadbare this morning. And, and to get started, um, I want to give you these two ideas that we're going to focus on that have to do with this confidence and comfort. The first idea, which we're going to cover very briefly, is this idea from the text that Jesus meets us in our grief and he shares our grief. So in our grief, Jesus meets us in it and he shares it, right? He, he comes to Mary and Martha and he weeps uh, over Lazarus. And then the comfort is that, and, and this is the, the idea that, that I want us to just kind of wrestle with, is, is that Jesus is willing to be misunderstood by us in order to do good things for us. So he's willing to be misunderstood by us in order to do good things for us. Another way to say this is he is always working all things together for the good of those who love him, even when we can't make sense of it. He's okay with that. So this first idea, this, this confidence builder that Jesus meets us in our grief, that he shares our grief. Uh, in this passage, we see Jesus not only come to these grieving women um, and to this community, but he enters into their grief, he weeps, over it. He's deeply moved. He's troubled in his spirit. He's not conjuring up emotions like some robot trying to figure out how to feel human feelings. Jesus hates death. He grieves death and sickness and pain and sorrow and all of these things. And we could end the sermon right here with this glorious uh, truth. And we see this in Hebrews 4.15 that tells us we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and is without sin. And so we can find comfort in knowing that Jesus empathizes and sympathizes with our sorrow, with our weakness, with our grief. But I want us to go deeper than that this morning because the truth is for many of us, if we were to be honest about our suffering and about our pain, we would have to say that we honestly don't really understand why God allows some of the things that he does. And in many cases, we resent him for it. There's this thing that is the right, it's so plain to me that this is the right thing for God to do and he doesn't do it. Many of us here have experienced something or we're experiencing something now that makes us want to raise a fist to heaven and demand God give an account of himself and his behavior. And if that's you, you're not alone. Mary and Martha did that. 
And this passage offers help because here we see Jesus is willing to receive that from Mary and Martha, to be misunderstood by them in order to do a good thing for them that they couldn't understand he was doing. They didn't have a category for it. And so I want to devote the rest of our time to that angle of this story. They're going back on. Okay, let me tell you the story. Uh, This comes from John 11 and 12 is where you're going to find most of this. But we'll just start with with maybe, maybe it started with a cough or maybe it started with a fever or some kind of an ache someplace. But regardless of how it started, there was a man named Lazarus and he got sick. And he got sick in the kind of way that led to death. And you have to assume that at that time, in that place, it was a kind of a sickness that people would look at and they would say, I know where, I've seen this before, I know where this is going, you know? This is not the modern age of medicine. So he got sick and he died. His sisters watched it happen. They tended to him and cared for him as he progressively got worse. And then the sisters buried him and his town mourned. And Jesus came to these mourning women and he came to them to comfort them he and his disciples showed up in Bethany, which is just basically the, the, the Brentwood of Jerusalem. It's a suburb. It's just right there. And he came, he came to, to Bethany, um, which was Lazarus' hometown. But in the minds of the people there, when he walked up, people who knew what he was capable of, their first thought was, you're late. You're too late. And Mary and Martha both told Jesus through their tears, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have, wouldn't have died. And these women hurt. They really hurt. It's real sorrow. They just don't understand why this happened because they believed Jesus could have stopped it. And he could have. There's some things you need to know about this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And one of the things that you need to know about them is they hold a distinct honor in scripture, and it's this. They are presented, when you look at the the sum total of the passages about them, what you see is these were Jesus' friends. They were friends with Jesus. He went to their house, he stayed at their house, he loved them, he knew them, he knew their personalities. It's the kind of thing that you imagine when Jesus came from Galilee to Bethany, one of the things he was excited about was when he would first step into the doorway and Mary and Martha would see him and squeal. He's here, you know, and Lazarus would come out and bear hug him, you know, that they were friends. I love this idea that Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, had buddies that were beyond just his disciples. These were his friends. He enjoyed them. He stayed with them. He loved them. He valued their friendship greatly. And so when one week earlier, this breathless courier finds Jesus away from Jerusalem, he delivers this message from Mary and Martha, and the message is simply, Mary and Martha want you to know the one you love is sick. And when this message is delivered, Jesus knows they're talking about his, his friend, his close friend. And to this, Jesus responds immediately, this won't end in death. 
That's key. And here's where a misunderstanding begins. See, for earthbound creatures like us, we think of death as the end of things, right? Death is the end of things. And so when Jesus says this won't end in death, Mary and Martha and any one of us would have taken this to mean that death will not then visit Lazarus. Because it's not going to end in death. Death is the end. Death won't visit Lazarus because Jesus said this isn't going to end in death because we put the emphasis on death. Why wouldn't we? But Jesus isn't talking about whether or not death will occur. He's focused on how this story will end, how it's going to end. And he says death will not be the end of this story. It's complicated, right? It's like God speaks with a certain set of, of assumptions, not assumptions, of understanding of the world. And we have a different set because we're, we're constrained and he's not and we see through a glass dimly and he does not. In the previous chapter, in John 11, verse six, uh, the story is kind of weird uh, when Jesus gets the news. And there's a verse in, in eleven six that says, because Jesus loved this family, because he loved them, he did not go to them which is, you would think it to be the other way, right? Because he loved them, he hurried up, and he went as quickly as he could. No, it says because he loved this family, he did not go, but he stayed where he was for two more days. In fact, Jesus waited until he got word that Lazarus had died before going to them, and then he said something even stranger. He told his disciples, I'm glad we didn't go. He said, I'm glad we didn't go so that you might believe in me. That's the backstory of what's happening here. Jesus meets these people in his grief, but the question you have to ask is, what is he doing? If he's good, what is he doing? Is he just being clever? Is he like, I have a trick I'm going to perform. It's going to blow your minds. You guys are going to love this. Because if that's what he's doing, he's being careless with his friends' hearts. Why? Because the truth is, they are really suffering. They're really grieving. While he's waiting, Lazarus is going through the process of dying. He's losing his cognition. He's changing color. He's, he's, he's slipping in and out of consciousness. The sisters are there at his bedside, and they're watching his chest rise and fall until it stops. And they're enduring this, and they're going through it, and they have to. And so when Jesus arrives, Mary and Martha are scared and they're hollowed out with grief. You know that feeling if you've grieved? It's just kind of this, this, this part of me is empty now. And, and they say to Jesus, their friend, this, this didn't have to go this way. And to them, it wasn't just that Lazarus wouldn't have had to die. It was that they wouldn't have had to watch him die either. And they wouldn't have had to try to console their neighbors and keep telling the story over and over again like we do when we're suffering or we're diagnosed with an illness or something and everybody wants to know the full story and we have to tell it as many times as we're asked and they have to go through this over and over and over. And Jesus responds to this by saying something that they just can't understand. They don't have a category for it. What he says to them is he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? To which I, I would say, what a thing to ask. And what a thing to believe, 
right? I mean, this is pre-crucifixion and resurrection. This hasn't happened yet. And so they're living in a world where 100 out of 100 people die, and when they die, they stay dead. And Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? They have zero examples of this, personally, to point to and say, okay, that, I, can, I, can, I can get into that. We know from the rest of the story that, that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, brings him back to life. It's a miracle to end all miracles because, because he's standing on the last frontier of everything that's broken in the world. He's standing on the frontier of death and he's saying, you have no power. Right? He gives life to the dead. But we still have to ask the question, was this just a parlor trick so Jesus could show off his power? If Lazarus' story just ends with him being called out of the tomb, you could argue that Jesus was being sloppy with his friends' hearts. Even though he raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus still endured the process of dying. His sisters grieved. And neither of those things were undone by the miracle. And we know this because, well, let's take a couple of examples that I'm sure uh, have visited many of us in this room. Divorce, miscarriage. These are two things. You experience a miscarriage. And then later you adopt or you conceive and deliver a healthy baby. The fact that you now have a baby does not remove the pain of the miscarriage. It doesn't take it away. It doesn't make you think, man, I I was just silly to be so sad over that miscarriage now that I have this baby. I see how it all worked out in the end. Or, you know, you're divorced. You're, You're betrayed. You're left. You're abandoned. And you remarry. And you've been given this gift of, of, of a new marriage, but it doesn't remove the pain of the, of the lost marriage, right? We have things like this in our lives where these things happen and the pain is not um, zeroed out just because a good thing happens uh, in response to this. And so I want to ask the question by way of application for us, what situation in your life do you believe Jesus has mismanaged for you? I want you to think about, I, I really want you to think about that because you're in, you're in good standing with people who are at the same time Jesus' friends and deeply perplexed by what he's doing. Where do you feel like God owes you an explanation for his behavior which seems to you wrong? Before raising Lazarus in John eleven forty one and 42, Jesus prays a strange prayer outside the tomb. And what he does is he prays out loud and he says, Father, I'm praying this out loud so that those around will hear me pray this. And then he says, I thank you that you and I are one and that we're in step with each other. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. That little prayer is a weird thing, right? Because Jesus is praying it out loud and he's saying, Father, I'm saying this out loud to you so they'll hear me. I thank you that you and I are in step. Why does he do this? Jesus prays this prayer because he knows that he is deeply misunderstood by people who are close to him. And for now, that prayer, the Father and I are in step, is the most he's willing to offer by way of explanation. 
it's, Father, help them to believe that you and I are in step right now. I'm praying this out loud for their sake. Well, we need to look at what follows. After Lazarus is raised, John says, many began to believe in Jesus and to regard him as king. And why wouldn't they? Because he raised a man from the dead. A man who had been dead four days. A man who when Jesus said, take me to him, they said, well, well, you you don't want to go in there. It's going to smell bad. Somebody who everybody knew he was dead. And he goes in and he raises him from the dead. And when this happened, people were like, we have somebody in our midst who can, who can raise the dead. And they begin to regard him as a king. Is this the happy ending that we're waiting for in the story? Conversions, people are coming to faith. Is this the glory Jesus was talking about? No, it's not. You might say, oh, he's getting credit. No, 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 no. Because what's happening here is these conversions to believing in him as king are complicating things even more. Because what's happening now is the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, as Passover is there, it's, it's getting near, and the religious leaders in, 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 in Jerusalem are fearing that Rome is going to punish them if Jewish people call one of their own a king. And so they say, this is from John eleven forty eight and 53, if we let him go on, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will take away our place and our nation. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Lazarus' death and his resurrection was a tipping point. It was a tipping point. When Jesus returned to that area, he had to go into hiding. And when he returned to that area, he returned to that area on the Saturday before Palm Sunday, one week before his arrest and crucifixion. And where did he go when he came back? Does anybody know? Anybody want to guess? He went to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. He returned to the scene of the crime. And what did he do when he returned to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house? They threw a big party, and the word spread. Jesus is not laying low. He's not trying to stay hidden. He's out in the open, and he's saying, I'm here. And then the next morning on that Palm Sunday, the day before Easter, the week before Easter, he rode into Jerusalem and a great crowd gathered and they laid down coats and palms and they began to praise him. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I asked the question, why were they there? You ever wondered about that? What was the cue that made people gathered on, on the hillside to lay down the coats and palms and regard him as king? Would you believe me if I tell you that John, well, you don't have to believe me, John 12, 18 tells us why they were there. And do you know what he says? He says that these people gathered because they heard what had happened with Lazarus. It's in your Bible, folks. They heard what happened with Lazarus. Even those who only heard about the resurrection of Lazarus were regarding him as king and they were coming out in force to show it. Jesus said Lazarus' death would not end in death. His sickness would not end in death, but in the faith of many and in the glory of the Son of God. Now what are we talking about? What's the glory? 
Are you starting to see it? The comfort that's there when we don't understand? It's, it's that Jesus is not talking about the glory of just being known for this miracle. Jesus had in mind that Lazarus' death would be the event that would steal the resolve of the Sanhedrin to hand Jesus over to death that he would accept and then he would defeat. Listen, Jesus waited out Lazarus' sickness so that he could raise him and so that this world would then no longer to be able to contain him without either making him king or taking his life. And that was it. One of those two things had to happen. And so when he stood outside Lazarus' tomb with those sad sisters, Jesus knew all of this. He knew all of this. When Lazarus was dying, Jesus was working. Ephesians 3.20 describes Jesus as one who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And this is what he's doing for these sisters in their grief, and it's what he's doing for us and ours. And so to wrap this thing up, I want to ask a question to dig deeper into the comfort of what it means to misunderstand Jesus and for him to continue to work for our good. And what I want to ask this, by way of, of, of closing is, is maybe a question that's never occurred to you. Why did Jesus choose a friend for this? People died all the time. Why didn't he choose some poor guy on the other side of town that he'd never met, that everybody knew was really dead, you know, and, and raise him? I mean, the response would have been similar, right? The response would have been, here's this guy who, who raises people. For, why did he choose Lazarus and Mary and Martha for this sober role in what he was doing, his friends? Here's what I think. This is, I think this, okay? I can't point you to a verse specifically, but, you know, test it. Here's what I think. I think Jesus did this with Lazarus and Martha and Mary because he wanted to honor his friends. He wanted to honor his friends by giving them a role in the redemption of humanity. Bringing them in and saying, you guys are gonna be the tipping point that's gonna set in motion the crucifixion and then the resurrection, which is going to destroy death forever. You guys are gonna have a part in that. See, Lazarus and Mary and Martha are folded into the story of our salvation and there's no getting around it. If I'm going to tell my story of my relationship with Christ, at some point, if I'm being thorough, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are gonna show up in that story because of this. There's something honoring about calling a friend to walk a difficult road with you, isn't there? There's something honoring about having the name of a person in your head that you would call at three in the morning if you needed help. You think something about that person that's honoring to them. Something honoring in asking a person to bear a burden with you 
That's what Jesus did with his friends. And we can assume that now, because of the way things unfolded, and because they're all in glory, all four of them are cool with how things went down, right? We can assume that, that nobody's like, yeah, it still bothers me that you did it that way. (laughs) But at the time, they didn't understand. And yet Jesus still did it. Jesus prayed out loud before raising Lazarus because he wanted his friends, he wanted his disciples to know that they stood there under those circumstances because Jesus was fiercely committed to obeying his Father's will. They were in that situation because Jesus was fiercely committed to obeying his Father's will. This was what Jesus could not explain to them. They they couldn't understand it. Does Jesus care about our suffering? Did he care about those sisters' grief? Well, the fact that he was there at all, in the flesh, had everything to do with Lazarus' illness. In fact, Jesus' incarnation directly addressed the problem of pain and death. This was why he came, to deal with the brokenness of this world. But to lay down his life meant there'd come upon people he loved, deep pain, and worse, the feeling that Jesus had failed to do what seemed so plainly right to them. And so it goes with us, doesn't it? It seems the deeper your love for Christ goes, the more acute the pain can feel when he doesn't do what you expect. And many of us think if we're walking closely with God, our lives would, have this, uh, would not have this kind of tension in them. Everything would be fine and, and everything would be smooth. But to live as a follower of Jesus means that we hold onto truths that are full of tension. In an already and a not yet, we expect resolution and we're promised a resolution. The sort where one day there will be no more crying or death or tears or cancer or pain. But we do not live in that resolution completely as of yet. Know this. Jesus is willing to be misunderstood by people he loves and by people who love him. He will not stop his good work in us simply because we don't understand what he's doing for us or why he's doing it. How could Mary and Martha have had the perspective to see? They they couldn't have had the perspective to see what he was doing. The good thing that was so plain to them was not the best thing that was the will of the Father. See, to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, the issue at hand was Lazarus' sickness and Lazarus' death and Lazarus' suffering. But to Jesus, the issue at hand was all sickness and all death and all suffering. So be encouraged when you don't understand what God is doing because when Jesus is misunderstood by those who love him, it's because he is fiercely committed to his Father's will for the good of those who love him. And we learn from Lazarus that when Jesus doesn't give you the help you so desperately want, the answer you so desperately crave, it's because in ways you cannot see, he's doing something better and he's doing something deeper and he's doing something more perfect. And you may not be able to see it. You may not be able to see it. In this life, you may never see it. 
And when this leaves you with no question but to trust him, no option but to trust him, then I would submit to you that this is one way that Christ is actually honoring your love for him by saying, I'm moving you to a place where you don't have any choice but to trust me. And you love me, so trust me. I'll tell you this, no explanation of your suffering will ever offer greater protection or security or comfort than knowing Christ is always good. It's always good. There's never a time, there's never a time when Christ is not in step with the Father, working all things together for your good, even when you don't understand. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this passage of scripture, for this story, these women and their grief. I thank you, Lord, that you, that you and your wisdom complicated this story for us so beautifully by making this friends of yours. Uh, not just random people, but there's a, a heart connection between Mary and Martha and Lazarus and you that existed during your earthly ministry that's born out in the stories that are told about them in the pages of scripture. Father, I thank you for what that means for us, the implications for us. That you work things together for our good, even when we can't understand, we can't begin to fathom why you're doing what you're doing or what the end goal is. Help us, Lord, to benefit from the hindsight of of knowing how the story went. That you were doing so much more for Mary and Martha and Lazarus by letting him die and then raising him than if you had stepped in and just healed him. Because you used this to set off the, 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 the chain of events that would lead to your crucifixion, which would then lead to your death and your resurrection and victory over the grave. And that's where our hope resides as Christian people. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for doing more than we ask, more than we think even when we demand that you do less. Fathers, we prepare to come to this table, this communion table. We come to this place where all of your disciples were confused by what you were doing when you yielded your life for the sake of our salvation. They didn't think you should have died. They didn't think you should have had to endure all this. They regarded your crucifixion as something that was being done to you, where you tell us in your word, no one takes your life from you, but you lay it down. You were in the process of laying it down willingly. We thank you for that. Father, help us to search our own hearts and to humbly acknowledge before you places where we just feel like you, you, you didn't do things right. And give us the confidence and the comfort to know that you will not cast us away for those feelings and those thoughts. And let us, let us find comfort in your word that tells us that you're always working everything together for our good because you're always good and you do exceedingly more than we ask or think. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.